Elena, welcome to Thank Dallas, you. Texas. Wow, you did say your, your tribe was going to be amazing. And There's... so far, you haven't told a lie. Good, and we won't. So everybody, please get as involved as you possibly can in our fireside chat tonight. Yes. We're gonna do a little Q&A at the end um, for everybody to get questions to Elena, but just to give a little bit of a background, Elena has been on the road for two weeks. She was in, um, in Utah skiing, mm -hmm. and then you Attempting. went- <laughs> You don't ski, do you? <laughs> I don't ski. And then went to Cabo and uh, was kind enough to come and make a stop to Dallas, Texas for us. So she is literally in Cabo this morning, will be in Miami tonight, and was gracious enough to spend two or three hours with us. So let's give her a round of applause for that wow. commitment. Yes, thank you. Killer. Now, I do have some questions, Ooh, Elena. Love it. Um, and we will take some more questions from the audience, but these questions come from a road trip that I took last weekend hmm. uh, with my boys, and I listened to the audio of your new book. Mm. And I absolutely loved it. Wow. So congratulations on writing Thank a super you. book. Thank you. Um, we will have the book signing after this where Elena will be able to um, say a few words and talk to some people over there. It'll be in that back corner. Um, and we have, um, I think we have 50 books or so. So oh, great. Um, everybody's going to want to get it. But the thing that I think struck me the most unusual is how it really did connect to the theme of this event. The theme of this event is transformation. And as I listened to your storyline, there was a number of transformations that occurred in your life. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back to New Orleans. Mm. Let's go back to Louisiana, <laughs> where you early picked up the nickname Sassy, which seems pretty appropriate to 15, me. I was yeah. I thought it was Sassy. But you describe your upbringing as an idyllic setting. My childhood, yes. Like. Perfect in a way, you said. Yeah, because I never saw my parents fighting. There was also there was always um, later in life I could now go back and see there was always this undercurrent of financial stress. Uh -huh. um, but they never fought in front of us. My parents, neither one of them drank. They, they, there, there were no infidelities. There were no um, drug problems. You know, I, I wasn't abused. I. I, I I was a daddy's girl, so I grew up playing baseball, football, um, track. I mean, I did all kinds of sports shooting. So I, I, I just, I loved my childhood. It was very... Idyllic. Idyllic. But what was your dad and your mom telling you at the dinner table? When you were at home, what were they feeding into you? What future were they building for you? Well, they were, I mean, I think my... my Mom was, was the breadwinner of the family, oh. and that was always like a secret, because my father never really had a job. So we always kind of lied and said that he had a job, just so he could kind of deal with whatever was going on for him. Um, so both of them were always imparting on me um, to be very independent, never, oddly enough, rely on a man. Um, they, they encouraged me to fulfill my, my dream. I wanted to be an actress. My dad came from the radio world, um, so he, they were very supportive of me going off and doing whatever I wanted, and they, and they thought I could achieve anything. But at the same time, they didn't really understand how to actually make that, to implement that, mm. because we were kind of taught, eat all of your food, turn out the lights, like save your way into to wealth somehow. Um, and that was really what they kind of imparted. But you, you really did have this fierce independent streak within you. And you talk about it in the book. And it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, living here in Texas for 23 years, when you talk to who's from Louisiana in this room? Do we have anybody from Louisiana here? Well, I know we got one guy from Louisiana. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right, there we go. There, it's a weird connection between Louisiana and, like, Brooklyn, you know, in the accent. Yeah, New Orleans, yeah. Right? Yeah. But then there's also this, like, almost a feel, a Louisiana Mafia feel. And I remember you telling the story in the book about the kid who put the gum in your hair. Oh, yeah. So just go on that story for a little bit, because I think the takeaway is it was like your first example of what fierce friend loyalty looked mm. like. So tell us a story on that. Well, this guy, Jerome, we called him Jerome the Superdome. Maybe that's why I got gum in my hair. Um, 
But I remember I had my best friend Goldie, and she had the brothers. I don't know if I elaborated this in the, in the audio. I'm not sure this one made it into the book. But um, Goldie's brothers, she had three older brothers, um, and I was like four years younger than Goldie. So I was like a baby. And, um, and they were like so tough on me always. But, you know, as a kid, I was a lot tougher than I am now. Like now I'm sensitive. I cry at everything. But back then, no one saw me cry because I was trying to be like the guys. Like I, I, I wanted to hang out with the neighborhood boys. So a boy could get in a fight and run home and cry, but I couldn't. Like a girl just couldn't. Or I was a girl. And I hated that, <laughs> which sucks because I grew up with that. But anyway... So Goldie's brothers would punch me or throw us up against the wall or whatever. But then Jerome stuck gum in my hair and my parents cut it out right here. So I had this big like chunk missing right here and I was so humiliated. When Goldie's brothers saw that, they went up and handled Jerome for me. And that was the first time I realized, I was like, wow, these guys who I thought were so antagonistic to me, totally had my back and were just like including me into their world by being tough on me. That has definitely become a theme of yours though, right? As we move through the storyline tonight, I mean, you require that fierce loyalty from the people around you. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's, I do. it's so apparent. I wanna, I wanna work the audience into that of how they may be able to transform some of their relationships to really get that kind of loyalty mm -hmm. from some people. But the Goldie story is important. It's really when this idyllic upbringing in New Orleans takes an unfortunate turn, yeah. where your friend Goldie dies yeah. in a house fire, yeah. and you were? I was, uh, I, I think I had just turned either 13 or 14. Uh, and she lived next door? She, yeah, she lived across the street. And you saw the house burn. Yeah. We, my father came into my bedroom around 4, 4.15 in the morning, and I was still sleeping. I'll never forget the words. He was like, because this is so weird, but when I was a kid, like if there was a fire, my dad and I would be like, there's a fire, and we'd get in the car and run to go see the fire, and like that was like something we did. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he comes to the bedroom at 4 in the morning and was like, um, Goldie's house is on fire, and it didn't register. I was like, oh, it's, a, it's another fire. I, I really am too tired to go look at the fire. I mean, it just didn't register. And then he said, and Goldie and her mom are still in the house. And that's when I just like jumped out of bed. And so I ran across the street. I remember I was the only girl there, and there were the neighborhood guys, and we had buckets, and we had fire hoses, and we were waiting, which seemed like an eternity, for the fire department to, to, to arrive. And, and it was just like so massive and such a mean fire. Mm. I'd never seen anything so angry in mm. my life mm. before. Mm. And then, yeah, throughout, you know, that didn't turn out well. Yeah, she dies. You lose she your did. best friend at 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And watched it kind of happen. Yeah. Um, well, when, I, when, when the whole thing was said and done, or they were recovering the bodies, mm. and my father was like, going to take me around the block, so I wouldn't see that, but, but it didn't happen that way. And so I saw them bring out her body. And that, that was what was so difficult for me, because um, I just, you know, it just wasn't equipped to confront seeing that at that age. Yeah. It's so, not supposed to happen that early. Yeah, no, you know. And then, you know, my father was in the military. He fought in World War II. I, I do come from a very loving family, as I say in the book, but it was always, um, you know, we were very, you know, even in the gym, like at school, I was, we're, we're, I'm just private, like I'm modest, believe it or not. And, you know, we just didn't talk about feelings or, or and not that I needed to really talk about feelings. I just needed to be able to have them. So that day, um, there was even discussion, like, should she go to school that day? And I, I, like, in my mind, I was like, it, it's so surreal. Like, am, am I in, like, in an Alfred Hitchcock movie or Twilight Zone? Or it was just so, like, like, like what? Like, I'm going to go to school today? Like, but I didn't. I got to have off that day. <laughs> but the very next day, I went to school. So I'm, I'm sitting at school, like, with, with a lump in my throat, like, just, like, how am I doing this right now? Yeah. And that's how the next several months and, and years went. You know, do you it's think just, it took you years to get over that? Um, it did. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it took at least like two years, but that's when I started consuming 
stuff to try to numb out those, those feelings because I never cried. And I didn't let anyone see how badly that damaged me or how, how much it hurt. So, so if you saw me, I was like a little punk rock chick. I was going to concerts. I was stage diving. What are we talking like? This is, what is this, like not 80, Late 80s. Late 80s. So we're talking like Doc Martens. Oh, we're talking yes, the rip pantyhose. What are we oh, talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had white Doc Martens that were, like I had an artist friend draw on the top of them. Or I had marching boots, if you know um, Mardi Gras, they're white with the, with the taps on the bottom. And then I had torn up uh, fishnets yeah. with the little garter belts with little skirts at 15 and tank tops and, you know, black flags, circle jerks. I don't know if you, you know, <laughs> the butthole surfers. I mean, agnostic front. I mean, I've gone to almost every mm. major Ramones. I've seen the Ramones. I saw the Chili Peppers when they really wore socks. I mean, like, like, like for real. But listen, you just went there for a minute, and let's talk about it, because you're honest in the book. That was a period of time where you were consuming some drugs, mm -hmm. and you were taking in some stuff to either numb that or just to experience, or to rebel. What was it, or a mixture of it all? It was all, it was all, it was all. You know, I didn't really have an identity. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. I just knew that I was very miserable that my friend died. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was just trying to be wild, you know, I was trying to, to, to numb. Yeah. And, and so I just went on this. I found a family of misfits, Yeah. you know, the misfits, that was a great band too. Um, <laughs> I just found a family of misfits that had the same, uh, you know, sort of aggression towards life. And so I just fit in and went with it. But then something happens and a decision or an idea gets fostered that says, I'm going to go be an actress. Mm -hmm. You were doing theater in high school, you were getting a flavor for it, but then this a massive amount of courage kicks in that says, I'm done with New Orleans, I'm going to LA. Yeah. And you're 17. Mm -hmm. And you pack up, mm -hmm. and you move to LA, and your parents don't stop you. They, they tried. They did. Yeah, they sat me down at the table. And they were like, we don't want you to go to LA, we're afraid you're gonna get hooked on drugs, and we're afraid this and that. And I was like, <laughs> let's have the talk. So I told them, I was like, look, name it, and I'll tell you whether yeah. I've done it or not. And then I just told them the whole, everything. Yeah. And I was like, I'm actually going to Los Angeles because I wanna do something with my life. I wanna improve. And um, no one can make me do anything because I'm not really in the peer pressure thing because I've already like done it. Like I don't care. At this point, at 17, I didn't. I wasn't trying to um, really impress anyone at that point. I think I was just ready to move on. But you do. You you start a layer of transformation, and you go to LA, and mm -hmm. you become um, a highly successful actress. You make your own money. You get on USA High mm -hmm. for 97, five 95 episodes. episodes. Who, anyone USA High? <laughs> huh? There you go, Tim Story. Tim Story, awesome. That was a big show. You're making money, six figures, mm -hmm. and you're really beginning to connect to this fierceness, this fierce independence. You're winning independently, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm going to come back to this in a little bit. I think you know probably where I'm going with it, of, of this transformation from this incredibly powerful, successful individual mm -hmm. to now go into the team. But tell us about LA. I mean, you're 17 years old mm -hmm. and you're starting to win in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to I went to Japan. I, I modeled in, uh, to, in Tokyo for about two and a half months. I went to Taipei, um, went back to LA. I worked as a model, as an actress here and there. Um, LA was fantastic. I mean, I loved it. Um, I met a lot of great people. I, I just really, kind of grew up there, I suppose, mm -hmm. you know, so. Great friends, too? That's when you're really starting to meet a lot of new friends? You're starting to build tight relationships or um, no? No, not in L.A. <laughs> but but here's, here's where it begins to take this other twist. And I don't want to discount this fierce independence that you had in L.A. because mm -hmm. it's crystal clear. But, you know, you're on the set and, um, you know, you're doing your thing. Right? You're not looking for any relationships. I mean, no. you're like, you're, you've got plenty of them. You're pushing them away probably with a stick, right? <laughs> but then all of a sudden, somebody gets your phone number and it's, his voicemail shows up on your, I mean, his uh, call shows up on your voicemail. Yeah. And it turns out to be that guy right yeah. there, right? That's, yeah. That's your husband yeah. uh -huh. right there. Yep. <laughs> but what's crazy is uh, he calls you twice a month for 13 months mm -hmm. and you never return his phone call. No. 
You have no interest in this. Zero. Stuff. Why? <laughs> well, because, um, well, there were so many reasons why. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, he hates let's. this part of the story. Um, because at that time, well, I was not interested in like a real, like a real relationship. So, and the guys that I hung out with were either rock stars or actors, because that was the world I was in. I didn't know any businessmen. He was yeah, a he's business a businessman, right? That's yeah, yeah, he was a businessman. I wasn't wasn't interested in that. From a previous guy I hung out with who never wanted me to be in heels because he, like, he, you know, he was shorter than me. Um, so I always felt big around him, and I, I made a decision after that. My next, like, if I ever had a relationship, he was going to have to be 6'2", so I could wear heels. Because yeah. I didn't want to feel big. Um, so he was too short for me. He was a businessman. Then when I met him, and we, we did have one phone call. Okay, so I met him on the set of this shoot I was doing in downtown Los Angeles. He gets my number from the director, which is a huge no-no yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah. You don't give out somebody's number from the call sheet. He calls me. I had one call with him. I thought he was arrogant. I thought he was kind of this rich guy who thinks he could just like buy any girl he wanted. And being in LA, I, I mean, I was just so over that guy. Ugh. So he, he was like in the big no department. So, so after the first initial phone call, I didn't return any of his calls for 13 months, but then he weaseled his way into my friend's circle, so he started hanging out with all of us when, when we were out at the clubs or wherever. And then I was like, oh, well, he's, he's not, I mean, it wasn't for me, but at least he wasn't like horrendous, mm. like I had originally thought. <laughs> horrendous, was it? At least he wasn't horrendous. But one of the real reasons is because you had the discipline to create what you called the list. Right? Yeah. And the list was the characteristics of the person that you thought was the ideal person for you. Right. And I'd like in this, in the theme of the event of transformation, I'd like you to give our audience just a little bit of some of how that list creation could sketch out. Um, because my wife is in the audience right there, Rocky. Where's Rocky? Rocky's right there. I didn't have a list. Um, and I think, oddly enough, I got very lucky. I think I did hit the lottery in that regard that I didn't have a specific list, but the rocker meets almost all of the things. I'm sure you meet a lot more of mine than I meet of yours, honey. So, um, but for those who might need a little help with the list, let's just, if you don't mind, give a little bit of criteria of how we create this list. Well, don't put <laughs> six, two and green eyes. Um, that's how I started my list. Um, for me, I just, my friend, it started out with a girls' night, which, you know, gosh, I hate to diss on girls because I love my girls. But at this time, I, had, I was so used to hanging out with guys that I, this was the major eye roll moment of my life. Like, my girlfriend was like, oh, we need to go to, and do this. We're going to create this list, and we're going to burn candles, and we're going to do this list. So it had to be on a piece of paper that you rolled up, and we stuck in a pipe, and then <laughs> we pinched, the, like, pinched the, the thing, and we weren't supposed to take off the necklace until, the, you know, until it eventually fell off. That's when the guy was going to come in. So I wore the thing until my neck turned green. It was terrible. But anyway, I thought, God, this is so Oh, hokey, I hate these things, but I was like dying to fit in. So I went to this night and I did, I wrote so small on this piece of paper and I just thought, what, what would it take to get me to be serious about a guy? Like if this guy existed in real life, would, could I be with him for the rest of my life and like, would I be okay with that? So then I wrote everything I wanted and she said, be specific. So I was like ethically ambitious, um, could afford to buy me whatever, whenever. Because I had taken care of every guy I had been with, and that did not work for me. Yeah. Didn't work for them. No kidding, though. You're supporting the men in oh, your I, life. I, yeah, I didn't want anything from anyone. I didn't want them to, because I was very independent, fierce, as you said. So the guys I had dated before never had any money. So it was, and I didn't care. I was like, you, if you buy anything for me, you, then in my mind that equated to like, you me think you, you own me yeah. and I owe you something and I don't want to owe anybody anything. So, mm. but that didn't work out because whatever. But so anyway, I wrote this list. So, so I wrote, doesn't drink, is monogamous, wants a family, wants to have children, loves and, loves and protects women and children. Um, 
you know, my friends love him. I mean, then there's this, you know, the sex part of it, and then the, you know, all the all the stuff that was important for me. Because because I've said this before, I don't I don't want to be married to my I want to be married to my best friend, but not my best friend in like if I'm going to be in a relationship with somebody and I'm only going to have sex with that person, like, we have to be having sex. You better be 10x For me, sex, that's, right? yeah. Be... It, the intimacy has to be there. Like, I don't, like, no. Like, if, no. Otherwise, let's just be friends. But anyway, so I, I included very That, that specific, got the asterisk next Yeah, so right? I was like, okay, look, go. you know, I'm not, uh, yeah, you know, no. Uh. But, so that was what was important to yeah. me. But the epiphany that I had in writing the list at this girl's night was I was like, wow, like, what would this guy's list of the girl look like? Mm -hmm. And it was, the big realization was it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Like I was not, I mean, I was drinking, I was dabbling, yeah. I was, you know, definitely not commit worthy material, I, you know. So I said, this guy, this guy would never see me because I would never show up in his world the way that I was. And that's what hit me. I was like, I, I really need to start working on myself. So that's when I really started to work on myself and said, how do I need to rise up to be good enough for this guy? Whereas all the girls were like, oh, you deserve to have this and you deserve to have that. And that's true, you do deserve it, but you do deserve it if you earn it, not just because you're entitled to it. I think that's, I hope everybody understands really what you're saying there, right? You say it clearly in the book, but what's odd is the list wasn't for you to attract that person. It actually raised your game. It raised my game. To be. And that was the stunner for me. Stunner. Stunner. It's, yeah. Because I was not revelation. expecting that. Yeah. So, so then I wrote the list from his, you know, point of view yeah. that, and so. So the gentleman we're talking about is Elena's husband, Grant Cardone, who came in to join us. So Grant, thank you for being here with us. <laughs> But he's calling you for 13 months, and something that's interesting is when, when Rocky and I first met you, we went to um, the original yep. 10X, and for, for, you know, uh, Grant and Elena just put on an event in Miami a couple weeks ago where there were 35,000 people at their 10X Growth Con, and when we went, Rocky and I went to the very first one, I believe there were about 60 or 70 yep. people there. We, you, we sat next to each other, and I remember it was so poignant when you told that story, right, you got very emotional uh, at that moment, and you were saying, boy, there's an element that says, I, I wish I didn't do that. I wish, I had, I wish we had gotten started this 13 Sooner. months earlier. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's powerful. Um, but then he does something that brings it all full circle, which is he finds out that you love to shoot. And that brings these amazing memories back of your relationship with your father. Your father was a world-class, was he number one yeah, in the world? Yeah, it was a world, in the 60s and in Europe it was pigeon shooting, but that's not so PC, I okay. guess. So, but yeah, he was a, a European world champion pigeon shooter. So he shot all 400 and they landed in boundaries. And second place shot all 400, but the two fell outside oh, of boundaries. that's pretty tight, that's yeah. pretty close competition. Yeah. And you guys did it together as a kid. And Grant opens the door by saying, I'm going to rent out a shooting gallery because I know you like it. Yeah, and you he left said, a message. I'll take you up on that. Yeah, that was the only time I called him back. <laughs> I was like, eh. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good tactic for him. But too bad it took him 13 months to figure that out. I know. But then you guys really begin to, and I'm going to move a little faster in this transformation because there's a few really important things. You fall in love, you get married. Yeah. You have the first of your two daughters, mm -hmm. and you're living in the Hollywood Hills. Mm -hmm. Life is very good. Let's not be afraid to talk about um, the success that you guys had at that time. It was extreme, right? You're living in Lionel Richie's house mm -hmm. in the Hollywood Hills overlooking LA. I mean, life is good. Yeah. And then 0809 hits. Mm -hmm. And you talk a lot about that in the book, about how that was this snap your fingers instantaneously of how are we going to deal with this onslaught crisis. Let's go there a little bit. Just, just take me back 10 years ago. Rick talked about it in the first session of what was it like 10 years ago? Mm. 10 years ago mm -hmm. takes us to February 22nd of 2009, right? Oh, wow. What was going on? Well, I remember right when the 08 thing happened and we were sitting on the sofa and, uh, and he was like white 
watching the news, and I said, what, what, what does this mean? And he said, it means we're gonna die. And I was like, die? What, what, do, what do you mean, we're gonna die? And he was like, oh, we're gonna die. And, uh, and I was like, uh, I was pregnant mm -hmm. with our first child. And, um, and I was like, oh no, 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 no. I don't die, number one. And, uh, <laughs> and, and what I forgot to tell you after the first phone call that we had had is he said, you know, people that hang out with me, their lives tend to improve, which is one of those things I was like, oh God, he's one of those guys. But he did say that. And so that day I was like, and you said, if I got with you, my life would improve, mm. not die. You didn't mention death mm. as a factor mm. with my unborn child. So I said, you, go to your office, which was down the hall, and I said, do not come out until you figure this out, because I was terrified. Mm. And so he goes to the office, and three hours goes by, and of course I'm worried about him, and I think, oh, maybe I should bring him some water, or maybe some food, but then I was like, no, I have to be tough. So I left him <laughs> in there by himself. But three hours later, he came out, and he put this transcript of a book that he wrote into my hands, and he said, this won't make us rich, it's a book, but, I figured out how to get us out of this, and I will never make you worry about this ever again. Mm. And that was a transitional moment for me because, um, A, he has kept up to his word. My no life doubt. has substantially, exponentially gotten better. But it also was the first time when I realized for real, like he's on my side, this is my team member, and we were also under a $60 million lawsuit um, for the first time ever. So banks are calling in loans on real banks estate. Banks are calling in, even though we had never defaulted. Yep. They said we're in technical default because you, you aren't, you're not as worth much as you are or whatever, blah, blah, So we had that battle. We had this, and all this stuff was going on. And I just didn't see myself working as an actress, being seven months pregnant or whatever it was. And... Um, and so I said, you know what? Like, the, he had more going on with the products and everything that he had. Um, his business was more financially viable than mine. And I said, you know what? I just have to go all in on us. Let me help him and us grow and develop this empire to where I don't need to have the blessing of a producer or a director you know, in Hollywood to say I'm good enough or not good enough or you can work or you can't work. Let me just do our thing and got behind him and went, that's when I just had to trust and go all in on us and defy my mom's words. You know, I had to go face my mom and my dad and be like, I'm giving up my acting career. I had to face my friends in LA. Like, I went to an acting school that was like, you never stop acting for your husband or your wife or your mom. Like, you, like you die doing it. Like, that was ingrained in me. So to have to face everyone and say, now I'm going to go support Grant. Yeah. I'm going to give up some of my independence that I prove to everybody that I have. In I'm order gonna... to actually gain my independence, but yeah. Yeah, but, but how do we help someone maybe in the audience or someone who knows somebody in the audience that says, well, my man isn't Grant. My man doesn't make me feel as though it's all gonna be okay. My man doesn't come out three hours later with a solution. Well, how do we tell people in that situation? Because that is real life for a yeah, lot of people. That is real life for a lot of people. You know. What I would say is, you, you, the, the, the couple has to get together and really define who they are as a couple. Um, because before this moment, I had not thought about us as a couple. It was still me yeah. and him. Powerful. And we were in this marriage that I thought a marriage just meant monogamous, mm. which, okay, I can do that. But I didn't realize who we are as a couple and what we are bringing to the table and where we're going. I, like, I don't, I, no one taught me that. But were, was that it's such a really interesting thing? Because I think there's a lot of people who, despite their time in marriage, never get there. Yeah. So, I mean, really, what was going on that was keeping you from going all in? And conversely, maybe, um, maybe Grant was comfortable with that layer of independence too. Maybe neither of you were just totally dialed in. Was there any of that going on at that time? 
Definitely. I mean, I had that just ingrained in me. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, the Hollywood world was always like, you have to be independent. And, and I had very much this woman thing. Like, I had to prove myself as a woman and not take anything from a man. And really, like, I just didn't understand about allowing a man to help me and me to help him grow into our power. I thought it had to just be me. Mm. I didn't know, and I didn't know that until now, that mm. I've been on the other side and we did it together, that I'm actually so much more powerful totally. as a woman. Yeah. Like, I never knew I would find my power as a woman mm. with a man. Like, we, not even on the radar. We gotta get there tonight. We've gotta help other people understand what you're saying there, because it's really amazing how you lay it out in the book. So I, I wanna get there, but I do wanna touch for a minute <clears throat> on this lawsuit piece, not for the details of the lawsuit, the reality is it's a huge lawsuit, but what I do wanna talk about is that these were your friends. Mm. These were people that you cared about, that's, that you stepped for, and they turned on you, mm -hmm. and that was also an element of we, we, gotta, we gotta stick together to fight this. Because, Absolutely. So no, I, nobody really cares yeah. about details, it was a big number. I care about how did, how did you feel when these friends that you cared about Oh, it, it guts me. And you know what? Unfortunately, I can't say that ever goes away. Mm. You know, it's just what are you willing to trade in? Uh, you know, when you play at higher levels, you're, you're going to, to be a mark. Um, you're, you're going to be more susceptible for people coming after you. It's just, it's just, it just is what it is. But the more you play the game, the stronger you become at the game, you know how to protect yourself, and are you willing to trade in your small little problems for small little problems just on a bigger scale? Mm -hmm. You know, it's gonna hurt either way. It's gonna hurt not being able to buy diapers for my kid, maybe even more than being betrayed on by someone you thought was your friend. Pain doesn't go away, your sensitivity doesn't go away, it's just what problem do you want and are you willing to deal with and are you willing to play with? I have such big rewards in my life. I'm willing to, to, I'm willing to take a punch. You know, I've prepared myself to, to be tough enough to take a hit and strong enough to deliver a blow. Yeah. You know? Nice one. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's probably not gonna go away. And it's like, oh, people can go, oh, you see, that's why I would never wanna do it. But that's okay, you can play, if that's the game and that's the problems you wanna keep, which are small and down here, in my opinion, they're small and down here, pettinesses, it's just, are you willing to trade pettinesses for, for being fortified, allegiant partner, battling the world to make a difference for the better? And I choose that. I just wanna get some clarity for the audience so they really understand this transformation that's occurring though, right? Again, fierce, independent, I take care of myself, I don't need a man to take care of me. You're thinking that after a few years of marriage already, you're still sorta of in oh, your yeah. corner. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So even after 08 into 09, would you say that that was the pivotal moment, that, that, that sort of earth shake that mm -hmm. happened to all of us back then? Was that I better buy into this or was there more to it? Were you just beginning to move or were people pushing in that direction or were you really only saying, if this thing's gonna work, I gotta go all in and I gotta burn the ships? Yeah, that's what, that it, that's what it was. No one was saying you should, you should quit your career. Yeah. No, like, like I had to be all alone in that decision. No, it was the 2008, the crash, the pregnancy, the lawsuit, where I said, this is it. I either go all in and figure out how to become an asset to not only to myself, but to us, or we're not surviving this. Mm -hmm. And up until that point, we had been normal, and normal doesn't survive that stuff. So I knew I had to take it to another level and really become extraordinary in who I was and who we were as a team in order to survive. Yeah. So it was like sink or swim at that moment for me. So here we go, transformation happens again. Mm -hmm. You survive it, mm -hmm. thrive again. Mm -hmm. And then you punt on the state of California. And you say, that's it, mm -hmm. we're out of here. Mm -hmm. We're moving to Miami, Florida. We're leaving potential for careers. We're leaving friends, we're leaving assets. We are out of California and we're gonna go to the next level in Miami. I really wanna hear what you're thinking about that somebody has to say, no, no, we're not doing this. And somebody's gotta be saying, no, we're doing it. No, it Both was, of you said we're doing it. Yep. That's well, it. You know, Grant said, 
if they raise the taxes, it was 10, if it goes to 13.3, we gotta get out of here. And they raised it to 13.3, and he looked at me and he said, we gotta get out of here. And I was like, done, you know, it's done. We had made a decision at that point, like he, he understands business. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The man clearly knows what he's talking about in the financial and the business arena. And it was gonna be more viable for us to leave. And so I backed him, I backed his decision. I was like, look, you know, whatever we need to do to get, to build our empire, that's it's just time. another sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to, to take a chance? Are you willing to leave the people that you love um, in order to go create a future that you really want? And so I saw it as a clean slate, and I was, I was all in from the moment he said, we're leaving. And then he calls me up one day, and he was like, we were trying to figure out where we were going to go. It was, it was Las Vegas, because that's a Nevada's tax free. It was <laughs> Nashville, Tennessee. It was, it was Austin, Texas. I said no to Florida immediately, because I, I don't like bugs, especially ones that fly. So Florida was out, but he calls me one day from the road and he says, we're moving to Miami. And the second he said Miami, I was like, yes, because that wasn't Florida to me. That was like Miami, you know, it was cool. <laughs> so I immediately knew. International chic, yes, good. Yes, yes, yeah. it had the dinners, it, would, it has the nightlife, even yeah. though I've never done the nightlife there, but it had it. Um, so yeah, that's so. it. You pack up. And when I'm talking pack up, I'm talking... We you, sold the house. Yeah. We sold all the cars. So there were actually several months where we were homeless, technically. Got rid of the dogs. Got rid of the dogs after the kids came. Like said, that's it. Yeah. I mean, we're, doesn't we're, fit. It didn't fit. Like, for us, and this is so hard, and I can't even believe I'm admitting this to people, but animals are supposed, in our opinion, are supposed to be assets. Like they make you happy, they this, you know, there's an exchange and we love our animals. Who doesn't love our animals? But I had four dogs. I had two brand new kids. There was a situation with the dog, with the kid one night, you know, and so after that I said the dogs are liabilities. I can't take care of them. I, I'm like, I'm having yeah. trouble here. Mm -hmm. I need to scale it back. We gave them to great families. It was a hard decision, but it wasn't one that I regretted. It was just... For us, I don't need to hold on to something just because it was an idea that I had at one point. Like, if it works for me, I'm using it. If it no longer serves me, I'm letting it go. The rocker did that with a cat. I brought her home a cat one time. I had this little kitten, and I found it at the office, and I brought it home in a little box. I thought it was so cute, and we named it Bella. And one day came home, there was no more Bella. That was it. She took a little drive-by, let Bella out. That was the end of Bella. That's it. We never had a cat since. Wow. Sorry, sorry to the cat lovers in wow. the audience, but wow. But the rocker shares that view of it. If it ain't in, it's out. That's right. And you guys have taken it to an extreme level of if it's not in, it's out. And I really want to try to help the audience tonight get a better understanding of how do you craft the discipline. And we call it, you know, core values, mission statement, catalyzing statement, and business finishing goal. And we protect those with what we call the doorman principle, right? Mm -hmm. This, this, uh, this visual person that stands in front of those and protects you. How do you guys do that? How do you begin to craft this value system that says this is our deal? Mm -hmm. We're not going to take all these outside influences anymore. Well, it's what do you want your empire to look like? I mean, are you letting in the jokers, you know, the, the degrades who are just going to drink and vomit all over your, your empire? Like, I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I take pride in what we've built and who we are, and we're very ethical. And, you know, it's hard to stand up and be courageous against people that... Um, all are doing something that maybe might not be ethical, and then you're the only one. So we just surround ourselves with very like-minded people who are driven, who want to prosper, who want financial freedom, who want to put family first. Um, and, and we don't really spend time with the people who are interested in partying or just doing stuff that we don't believe in. In the book, you call it your court right? The people mm -hmm. who are most important. Yeah. Um, and in the book, you also uh, sort of begin to create the king-queen relationship, which I think is probably where a lot of people in the audience are thinking your conversation is going, right? Where the king has the queen. But the way you describe it is to the chessboard. 
And if anyone plays chess, we realize the most powerful uh, piece is the? Queen. And you began to say that to yourself that said, wait a minute, I'm not second place. I'm actually the most powerful piece. <laughs> and I think that's a really amazing. <laughs> he hates that part. Oh, he hates that part? <laughs> that's funny. He's over there giggling. Because I think, I think the way it does play out, though, is that you end up being the pusher. You end up being the person that says, you know what? We're going to really build an empire that's bigger than even you my husband and my teammate think we can do. Is that true? That was. He's bought in now. He fully believes that we can create not only a billion dollar empire, but a multi-billion dollar empire. So he's all in on that concept. But you're right, he was not of that belief when I first confronted him with the idea of that. So how does a woman begin to be the queen in the relationship, the powerful queen, not a subservient second place right. queen. How do they push their man? Because I think it's really common where women say um, he can do more. Mm -hmm. He's capable of more, but I don't know how to get it out of him. They have to get it out of themselves first um, because, because then you're respected and you're coming from a place of altitude when you're speaking to your partner of comparable magnitude. So um, they have to mine it in themselves first so it doesn't seem like it's just like you're, you're in it for, the, the purpose, at least for me, the purpose, the purpose, the tar the, we have to have targets in place and goals to attain. So for me to say to my husband, I want you to become a billionaire, it was, that's just something that manifests in the material universe as wow, you hit a target, and what did that take to, to get there? And who did you have to become to become a billionaire? It's not, it's not like I need a billion dollars. It, it's nice. I'm not there yet. I can tell you it's nice. Damn close. But, damn close. But it's about who do you have to become and stretch and be, and who do we have to become and stretch to be to become that person that attains that? And once you get on the same page of like who we are, what, what is your purpose? We want to impact people. We want to help people. We want to bring people up with us. But how, Elena? How do we do that? I mean, if, if, if we've been let down by our partner, right? Our yeah, partner and we let each other down all the time. Why, how? It doesn't it, seem it, like that it, happens it much. It does, because we're, we've been together for 16 years. He wants me to be this. I want him to be X. I mean, but, but then when, whenever we get like that, it's because we've stooped down into this avid craving of being normal. And if you want to succeed on higher levels, you have to become extraordinary. You have to think differently. You have to have a purpose so big with the idea of building an empire that all of a sudden the little bickerings and the pettinesses, you have to just mm, swallow it for a second and go, you know what? I'm not going to fight back with that retort because I want to fight. He's a fighter. I'm a fighter. If we go there, then we're fighting each other. Mm. We're destroying our empire. You're either creating an empire or you're destroying one yeah. with every decision that you make. We just made a decision to create an empire. So if we're going for 10 billion, we don't have time. We can't get stuck in the minutia of fighting each other for very long. Mm. So it forces us to constantly keep elevating ourselves and holding ourselves to a higher standard because we have this purpose and we're running out of time. Yeah. You know, he's going to be 61. I'm 41. You know, um, you know, we're running out of time. We want to meet. We want all 7 billion people of the planet to know who we are. I feel like if they knew who we, we were, they would be helped by his message. And now by the message that I'm putting out there. When I wrote this book, there was no person 10 years ago, like you said, that showed me how to really become an alliance and a partner mm -hmm. um, and build an empire. No one, no woman behind, beside the man, whatever. And I'm not even saying the woman has to have the role that I have, because I do have a more traditional role. In the book, I talk about, I don't care who does what, deli up who is the best at what, you know? Uh, a man might be better suited doing what I do, but in a relationship with a woman, that's fine. Whatever they do, they have to figure it out, those roles. And so how do they do it? They do it by getting on the same page with a purpose so big enough that you're not caring about game three. You're worried about the Super Bowl ring. You know? One of my favorite quotes ever, and my two, two of my three boys are there. They've heard me mention it, I don't know, a thousand times. 
comes from you guys. Have goals so big that your problems, problems fail, fail comparison. comparison. Right? We, we major in minor stuff way too often. Yeah. And the minute we reset to the big, fat, juicy goals, those little things just instantly go away. And that's right. a practice, I think, that people need to get in the practice. habit of, it's right? It's a discipline. It's definitely. a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a definitely a discipline. This is back to what we're talking about here, this marble exercise. For those of you who maybe didn't really think about it, I put four. Me too. You put four? I put four. Nice. Yeah. But I'm older than you are, so. <laughs> maybe I, I should have put five. That's 40 years, y'all. I think I got 40 years left to be a contributing member of society and do great things. So I wouldn't sell yourself short. If you put one or two on there, I challenge you to, just cross that out and do something bigger. Um, so Elena, let's get back to the, to, the, to the empire piece because I'm not so sure that everybody believes they need to. And this goes back to this concept of average. I think a lot of people just simply say we're good. And I talk about in, in my book um, how dangerous I'm good is, right? I call it false positive, where we begin to think we're actually doing better than we really are, mm -hmm. and it's incredibly dangerous, right? Yeah. But there does come a point, I don't know what the number is for for certain people, and I'm not here to judge that, but where you sort of say, I'm good, right? We did it, honey, we made it. And that just doesn't exist for you and Grant. No. So how, how does it keep moving like that? Because we, we, we ask each other at least once a week, you know what I'm gonna say, when are we gonna make it? When are we gonna make it? When are we gonna make it? Because we have set goals so big, I mean, what's bigger than seven billion people knowing who you are? So t tell me some of the goals, the, some of the big, fat, juicy ones that you Seven guys Seven billion, we want to have a real estate portfolio of 40,000 units mm -hmm. worth 10 billion, controlling the asset, um, world travel. I want the licensees all around the world. I want, I, that's what I want. I mean, that's, that's the goal. And then I want to be a model couple. So, you know, as a couple's goal, we, we actually had the audacity to put, we want to be a model couple. I want you to look at us and say, wow, I want to be like them. That holds me accountable. When I am fighting with him, and I'm not perfect, and we're not perfect, that, that's what I learned. Like, we never are going to be. It's just, it holds me accountable to get over things faster. Because I think to myself, I want to be a model couple. So if you guys saw me right now with him having this stupid argument, what I, which, which is what I tell people all the time, don't be normal and worry about these pettinesses, like I would be embarrassed. Mm. So I have to swallow my need to be fight, right. be right, whatever, because the reality is I'm so focused and we have so many things going off in so many areas that literally, literally by the next day, Sometimes I can't even remember why I was upset. Nice. You know, so it makes me it makes me accountable. It makes me shift. It makes everything speed up and move because, you know, I'm a team player. I'm all in. We're we're all in with each other. You know, I say find the one you trust and build an empire. There is the love there. I mean, love is created as we hit our targets. Love is constantly created. Enhanced. Too. After 16 years, you know, that in love thing might not always be there, but on the days when we don't like each other, we still trust and have each other's back no mm -hmm. matter what. I'm not mm -hmm. gonna show it to the world, mm -hmm. you know, that we're, we're having an argument that day. It's, it's insignificant because the next day, we're not gonna be having an argument. So what did it matter? Why did I need to tell my girlfriend or my mom or, you know, why? Because then it sits in their universe and they're still stuck with it when I'm like light years over it. You want to stay on that just for a second because you spend a lot of time in the book talking about uh, when we the dangers of airing our dirty laundry, right? Yeah. And I think Rocky and I have experienced that in our, our marriage as well where um, perhaps maybe even I uh, told some inside stuff to my family members and it, and it didn't necessarily reflect Rocky in the best light in their eyes. Of course. And so you've taken the stance of cut it out altogether. Don't, don't do the no. circle thing. Don't do the ladies night where we're going to no. talk about our partners. No, that's when you have to have the discipline to keep your mouth shut. That's when you want to fit in with everybody else and you want to contribute with the girls and maybe say, you know, go into the bitch fest or whatever. Not that it happens very often. I mean, the, the ladies I hang out with are great, you know, but, um, but yeah, it comes up sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and then you just have to have the discipline to keep your mouth shut or, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just you're destroying your empire, you know? It's gonna have ramifications. It's like a pebble in the pond. It has a ripple effect. You feel bad about it, you betrayed your person, it makes you look worse than them, 
you know, like yeah. have each other's back. Like let, let's see what that society looks like. It does. I regret those moments. I do too. I really wish I, do I too. didn't do that. Me too. Mm -hmm. Me too. I don't like it at all. Whenever I say anything negative about Grant, it makes yeah. me really feel badly. I haven't in a long time, honey. You know that, right? It's like 15 years or so, but sometimes it still does. She still brings it up a little bit. So Elena, <laughs> let me ask you a question. If your husband said something like, <clears throat> I'm coming down with something. I'm a little sick. Would you tell him, uh, stop being a wuss and go to work? Like my wife says to me? Maybe. <laughs> uh, he was in the hospital. And you okay? said he thought he was having a heart attack. Uh, he, he got administered into the hospital. They had all these tests on him. They, they said it wasn't a, a heart attack. They still didn't know what it was. He had bankers that were flying into town to meet with him, to, to give him this loan. I think it was, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was a lot of money. $58 million. Okay, he said it. Now I have carte blanche to say it. So the bankers were coming into town. We still didn't know what the thing was. I was like, you can't go to this. And I was like, wait, tell me the deal again, the 58. I'm unplugging him. <laughs> I, I, it's called, M, what's it called? AMA, Against Medical Order, AM. Anyway. You're signing we, it for him? You're oh, I, I'm getting him dressed. I was like, you are going to this. They are not letting, you are not dying. We getting this loan first. Mm. I, hauled, I hauled him off in the car. He goes, he's like white. You know, we still got the, the thing and the meeting, the thing. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, he pulls the thing down so you can't see the tag, the medical tag. As soon as he's done, we recheck him back into the hospital. I was like, <laughs> so anyway, yes, I would say don't be, suck it up. I really hope everybody's getting what you're throwing out there, that, that you are uh, a tremendous support but push behind. Push. He pushes. I know he, he does, pushes. and so many people do, but yeah. I think he would push less if he didn't have you pushing on him. I don't know. He pushes. He pushes on everyone. He pushes on himself the most, but he pushes on everyone. I push gentler. He gets less tired when you push on him. I know yeah. that's the case. But, but I push. Yeah, I do push. So as we're coming to a close here, just a couple minutes, we'll do a little Q&A in the audience. But when is enough enough? And I know it's a pretty simple question, but, but even at the level that you and Grant and your family has produced, that question has to come up a little bit because oh, yeah. it's hard to keep pushing. And I think what I'm looking for is what advice do we give further down the trough? I don't use that negatively necessarily, but for people who, in your opinion, have so much more by coming together and actually getting refocused on this empire, when is enough enough? When I can think, we stop? I think when a person can honestly look themselves in the mirror and say, I have hit my true potential. That is enough is enough for you. Mm. I have barely tapped on my potential yeah. yet. I, it's not enough for me. I really want to make a difference for the better on this planet. I am arrogant enough. I have the audacity. The sassiness. To, the sassiness, the determination, the courage, the will to, to go for it. I mean, I am very transparent. That's not always easy. If I fall and have my demise, I'm sure there will be people out there happy to witness that. But I'm willing to lay it all on the line in hopes that I'm, I can make a difference and encourage people to go after what they want and to, and to hit their full potential. And until you can honestly say you have hit your potential, whatever that is, I think that's enough enough. If I wake up one day and I can look in the mirror and say, I hit my potential, I'll say, that's enough is enough. Now I'm going to go get some more. <laughs> <laughs> Final question for tonight as it relates to your two daughters, your two beautiful daughters. There are 30 years in the future, that puts them, uh, what are they, eight? That'll be 39 and 37. 39 and 37. What, what do they want to, what do you want them to visualize their mother as? Mm. Mm. Someone that allowed them the freedom and the space to, to be who they are um, and, and, and have the, that I somehow contributed to their, their, not only their happiness, their health, but their contributions to society and their um, wantingness to play on big levels that I, I sort of kind of was the wind under their wings. Probably a little bit like what your parents would have wanted for you, yeah. right? It's yeah. probably how it, it kind yeah. of comes back full circle. Go. Exactly. Go. Yeah. 
Look, it's a, and it's, your life is an incredible example. I think it's, it's so powerful that it's hardly done, right? If you were to rate your achievement on your potential, where would you say you're at? It's low. <laughs> I know it is. I think it's, it's crazy low. for people to believe, but I know you think it's low. I think it's very low. Unbelievable. I think it's yeah. in the, maybe the 15 percentile. <laughs> That's so, so awesome. Sad. I know. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Elena, we're going to move to some questions. Everybody, let's shake it up for Elena Cardone for her Thank honesty you. and her transparency. I appreciate you so much. Thanks. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. And we're going to answer questions? Yeah. Okay. We're going to go to the audience with some questions here. We've got mics coming around as well. Okay, great. So, Elena, these are questions directly from the audience. Okay. And um, I'm going to just move this here. If you have questions in the audience, please raise your hand for Elena. We're going to go with the mic. Um, and Cami and... The gang will move around with that mic real quick on that. We've got four that have come in on Slido. So guys, please remember to keep the Slido questions coming in. You pick. Which okay, one do you like out of that? Um, it says, Elena, what would you say is the number one thing that brought simplicity to your life and allowed you to build your empire? Um, the number one thing that brought simplicity to my life is letting go of the ideas and concepts that I had that were ingrained on, into me. So the idea that love should look like a fairy tale mm. and that in love thing, that's one of them because our, our love doesn't look like that. Our love looks very hard sometimes, mm. the push. Um, you know, when I was writing this book, um, and I wasn't finishing. He, it takes Grant 10 days to write a book. It took me 10 months. I stopped for a little while, and, he, and we got into an argument about it one night, and he called me lazy and a coward. Oh, my. And, um, and that was took everything I had not to mm. fight back, and, and I did have the discipline to keep my mouth I'm shut. I'm sure he regrets those two words. Well, well, he knew that... I was going to stop everything because he knows how I am and finish the book. And I literally stopped everything I was doing for the last two months and wrote and rewrote the book. Yeah. And I, I didn't even leave the house some days. And so when I finished the book, I like tossed it at him, you know. <laughs> and I was like, take that from a lazy and a coward. Yeah. And, um, and he was, said, I will. And he was like, and congratulations. And then he said... And by the way, I never for one second thought that you were ever lazy or a coward. Mm -hmm. And that's what our love looks like. You know, I said that at the 10X Growth Con. It's not always pretty. Our love doesn't always look pretty, but we know how to get the best out of each other. And it doesn't always look good to that. get to greatness. It's not always easy. It's not always pretty. But I have a, a, an accomplishment, a project that I did that I feel really great about. And I feel I can help people. So. Yeah. So I had these ideas. The, the things that I did to make it simple is get rid of the ideas that weren't mine. The one that my mom said, never depend on a man. I depend on a man every day, and he depends on me. And we depend on each other to, to do what we're doing. Come on, I love no. that. Come on, there's nothing wrong with that. We need more of that. I like so, that. That's what it was when I really started to strip down, you know, the idea of this woman that had to do everything alone, you know, independently, even, even to the point where making a meal was difficult for him, for me, because I didn't want to be that girl, like that subservient woman. Mm. Um, I just started to take note of all the things that came from other ideas that I thought were mine that weren't really mine. Because when I analyze it, I'm like, well, why can't I make the man I love a meal? Like, who is that hurting, really? <laughs> And then I just started to do that. And then when I really said, okay, this is who I am. This is what I represent. I'm okay with this. I'm really okay with that. I'm willing to do anything to get on the same page and build this empire. That's when, I, that's when we exploded exponentially. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it's like I love that. I'm fascinated that the snow happens in 32-degree weather, but not 33-degree weather. It's this. It's not this. It's just that. Mm -hmm. It's just these little tiny concepts that if you can get over them, these tiny little adjustments, you go, choo. Yeah, I love it. Let's go to the audience. Who do we have, Cammie? If you'll be kind enough, just state your first name and where you're from. 
Chris Saunders from Raleigh, North Carolina. So um, this question is more about my wife. So I've heard Grant say about you before. You're, is your you're, wife here? Oh, she's not. I wish oh, she you're going to ask a question Trust about me, your she, wife and she's not here? Okay. That's right. That's right. Because gotcha. right. I want to learn here, right? Because we want to build an empire, right? So I want to help her find what her purpose is. So she had a long, successful career in the hospitality industry. She snagged me. I really snagged her. And um, her purpose was that, and it's helping people. Our purpose is helping people, right? But she's kind of lost her way a little bit. I, I put her in charge of the operations. Not that I'm her boss. Actually, she's my boss. She's CEO of my company. Uh, so I put her in charge of the operations side. And um, how, how would you advise me to help her find out what her higher purpose really is. The woman is amazing. She's beautiful. She takes action naturally like no one I've ever seen before in my entire life. But I can tell that she's running, you know, my company or our company, let's say, just because it's what I asked her to do. Mm. You know, she, she, she's happy with some days, some days she's not, but it's like I want her to do something else because I love her so much and I want to help her understand what she should really be doing other than being a mother to our three kids. And, you Got know. it. Well, here's the thing. Um, I mean, work is the basis of morale. I mean, you have to think, again, as a couple, like where do you want to go? Like there are days when I do things I don't want to do. There are days when Grant does things he doesn't want to do with the business. But the purpose is this is our vehicle. And this is what's taking us to own an empire. So I'm sorry. Do what you love. The money will follow. I don't agree. I mean, I just, you, you can't do something you hate or something that's not in your integrity well. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, you know, if the purpose is to help people, how can your empire help people? And other than just a mother, that, that, that statement kills me. Because to me, the most important and the most valuable underrated position in society is that of a mother. Because what parent, what father, what mother wouldn't stop everything, wouldn't sacrifice their own life to have a healthy, happy, productive, contributing member of society being their child? And so is, is a mother to rear a child into being self-sufficient to go off and create that. That, to me, is the more valuable than any position that, that I could have as, as, as a working person, you know. So, you know, the thing is, is maybe, maybe you can change your concept of your idea of what, what, what a mother is and, and how you view it. Like, if more people valued that position and how your, your attention as a parent and a father is like, you don't have to worry about your child because they're being taken care of and loved and protected and educated, you know, then that leaves you free to operate your business and create this empire. So then if she has an interest to do something, I don't know, like, you know, what, what, ask her, just get in communication. Is there something you need to do to fulfill yourself, like taking up a, something that's gonna contribute to, to us being better? But the goal, it sounds to me like your purpose and your goal for your empire isn't big enough. It's not, it's not captivating her interest. It's mundane, it's too normal. You'll have to go bigger with your idea and your concept to engage her. Boom, thanks. Awesome, great answer. <clears throat> Any other questions in the audience right now? Keep them coming. I'm gonna go to a um, Slido question that said, okay. what is the biggest um, value that you're teaching to your daughters? Um, the biggest value right now is exchange. Um, exchange of? Exchange. Um, kids have to have exchange. Um, because they want to participate and they want to contribute. So even since they were little babies, I accept a smile as a contribution to working with us. So they understand that they're Team Cardone. We've laid that out. You know, Team Cardone looks like this. We operate like this. We want to help people. We're going to this. We're going to that. 
And you know, when Papa's away, we hold down the fort. We don't have problems, so he can not be distracted while he's away. We, you know, if I have to be away, so they understand that they have roles and values that make them feel really good. That wow, I did that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't left by Papa. I, I have to hold down the fort while he's gone. They have a purpose, and a, so there's exchange. If they want something, a gift or something, like I don't believe you can spoil a child. I don't believe if I have a billion dollars and I gave it all to them, I could ever spoil them. The only reason you can spoil a child is if you give them something for nothing. So like even the plane, like when we bought the plane, at however, a few minutes, a couple of years ago, whatever, the kids gave us their entire piggy bank savings to invest in the plane. If they want a gift, they have to earn it by getting ahead in their schoolwork. Mm -hmm. So they're not just given things and given things and given things. They're given a lot of things, but then they have to produce. They speak, they got up and spoke in front of 30,000 people at the 10X Growth Con. They delivered their little speeches that they worked on because that's what we do. We're 10X kids. Yeah. You know, so they participate and they're given roles in the family and they're expected to live up to that as well as they're also expected to be a kid yeah. when, when those moments we don't need them to be whatever. And they're, you know, they... Exchange. Exchange. I love it. It's mm -hmm. a good one. All right, everybody. I want to give a big round of applause to Miss Elena Cardone. Thank you. Thank you for your time. We're going to go to the book signing in the back. Okay. And then you guys are heading to the airport. Yeah. And thank you for coming and taking this stop along your way oh, home absolutely. for us. Okay. Thank One you. more round for oh, Elena. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how. You need more money.